Well, hello, 1030 people of Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pa- I was the pastor at 9 o'clock, and I'm the pastor at 1030. And whether you're connecting with us live or live stream, and I know a lot of people check it out live stream first to see if this is the kind of place they actually want to come to live. And I, and I really hope that it is. We're so glad that you are connecting with us. And uh, also so glad for all those people who made their public. It's one thing to join the church way, way more important that they said, Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. And so, so good to have all that happen. And our ne- if you go to gscharlotte.org slash next step, our next step group, will next next step will begin in January, I believe on the 14th. All that information is there. We'd love to have you part of it. Today's message in this uh, Promises of Christmas series, it started out a couple weeks ago and we were looking at Promise Made, And then last week, we looked at Promise Delayed. And then today, for the third week of the series, it's called Promise Breakers. I couldn't make it rhyme with made or delayed. I'm sorry. Promise Breakers. And if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to locate in your Bible the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, and starting at verse 31. And just keep your finger there, Matthew 26. We'll be jumping around a little bit there and maybe even, even go over to the Gospel of John. It's not maybe. We're going to go over to the Gospel of John as well. So uh, maybe your Bible looks like mine and it has covers and a pages and it looks like a book, but it is not a book, it's a library. Or maybe your Bible's loaded on your phone. You have the app, and so you can find the words there. Either one of those is great, and if neither one of those is an option to you today, it's okay, because the words we're going to look at will be up on the screen, and we do that so that you can see the Scripture for yourself, and we do that because we want you to love the Scripture so that you can adore the Savior. That's That's what we want at this church. We don't want you to worship the Bible But we want you to love it because we've discovered that when you learn to love the scripture, you will adore the Savior. And out of that conviction, you may not love it yet. That's okay. We still want to do something unusual as a church out of the conviction about the scripture. Would you? We lift it up. And and if you're new and hadn't seen this before and this is just kind of unusual, it is. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people who don't have life figured out very well, and we usually discover that the hard way. But we know that the Lord does have life figured out, and when we surrender our will to his, hallelujah, really good things happen. Can I hear an amen for that? And before I say anything else, let's pray. So Lord, thank you for how good you are, and thank you for the privilege that you give me so many weeks to stand up and break open the word of life. And, and, uh, and I pray by your power, deliver it to the people of Good Shepherd and beyond. So in these moments, Lord, fill me fresh, new, overflowing with everything that is good and right and joyful about the Holy Spirit of God. Because of him, I'm always powerless, but because of him, I'm never helpless. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you might think that it is a little bit odd, strange, unusual, that, that in addition to being a church that lifts up our Bible together, that, that I would have a message in the series called The Promise of Christmas, and that I would have a message called Promise Breakers. 
and might seem like a little bit of a downer because after all, there, there was that really cool men's movement. Some of you remember it from the 90s, Promise Keepers, it was called. It's still alive in, in, in some quarters. And you're like, well, Promise Keepers was cool. And so why are you talking to us today, Talbot, about Promise Breakers? And the answer to that question is because all of us, at some point or another, at one point on our journey, maybe even right now, have been in that season of life where there was this gap between the promises we made and the promises we keep, and that gap is otherwise known as, hello, promises we break. It starts really early, doesn't it? Six years old, there I am, my mom's car in the driveway, and I was fiddling, cars were way different then. I mean, it's just barely after horse and buggy, and so I'm fiddling with the... <laughs> fiddling with the radio in the car and the next morning the car because some connection between the radio and the battery and old cars and the next morning that car is dead i mean it is dead do you know anything about this why the battery is dead nope <laughs> do you know anything about why the battery is dead i promise promise broken a little little bit later don't don't act in, sc up in school i won't i promise have her home by 11, I will, I promise. Don't do anything that I wouldn't do. I won't, I promise. Yeah, so many times of our lives from our, the youngest of ages to right now, we have this gap between the promises we've made and the promises that we keep. And that gap is called promises broken. And then it gets way more serious, doesn't it? You think of broken promises. Promise to be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. Promise broken. Promise to remain together in sickness and in health. Promise broken. I'll never have another drink, I promise. Promise broken. I'll stop playing video games till 4 a.m., I promise. Promise broken. I will never be creative with my expense reports again, I promise. Whoa, that was a little bit too close to home. Do, <laughs> do we need to have a talk about this? <laughs> and likely, likely, the, the promises you have broken as an adult were very likely broken on you when you were a child. And then ultimately, more, more seriously, most seriously, there are the promises that we make to the Lord. We stand on a platform. We, we sit in a baptismal pool. Lord, you have my life. I promise I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm pro I promise. And then you move in just a few weeks later, just a few months later, and there's the le least bit of pressure and the smallest bit of tension in your life. And as soon as you know it, you are back into old patterns and entrenched habits, and none of them were healthy. And these promises that you have made makes you feel like you are defeated and deflated and dejected. And in a lot of ways, you feel, because you tell me you feel defined by the promises that you broke into the Lord. And if that's you today, at least, at least your broken promises are not part of the permanent record of scripture for people to revisit every single year. That fell to St. Peter. 
Now, some of you know who St. Peter is and others of you may not, but he was part of Jesus's inner circle as Jesus traveled the, the Mediterranean, the, the, what we know today of as, as Israel. And, and Peter was part of that inner circle and kind of the leader of that inner circle. And we know that some of you may have heard of St. Peter. Well, he's the guy who, who greets you when you die at the pearly gates. That's kind of fable. It's nowhere in the Bible. You, you'll be greeted by the Lord, just throwing that out there. But Peter was a real man with real issues. And as we get to Matthew chapter 26, which by the way, this is the kind of story, Matthew chapter 26, no one preaches at Christmas. This is an Easter story for crying out loud. But guess what? We're breaking all kinds of rules with the promises of Christmas. And I know that a lot of you, as you move into this season of the year, you're going to come face to face with extended family, with nuclear family that you grew up with. You're going to come face to face with some of your deepest, most painful, broken promises. So I really want to look at this story, even though it's not technically a Christmas story. It's true for Christmas and Easter and every day in between, amen? Because as Jesus gathers his inner circle for a leadership retreat, getting them ready for the fact that he's gonna die the next day, and another name for the leadership retreat is the Last Supper. Look at what he says to them in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31. And then just Jesus told them this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written. And then Jesus goes back to the Old Testament, very typical of Matthew, to connect everything that Jesus says with the fulfillment of what Israel has been promised and has promised. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Then you skip down to verse, that's what Jesus, hey, guys, you're feeling close to me now. You're all fixing to fall away. Then verse 33, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. This is the Peterest moment ever. I don't care what these other 11 losers are going to do, Jesus. I will never, ever fall away from you. All of this emotion and all of this adrenaline just burst forth out of Peter. He can't control it. And maybe, maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you felt that wave of emotion and that surge of adrenaline and, and, and you volunteered for the hero role before the crisis even happened. I'll always be there for your kids. I'll always be true to my marriage vows. I'll never drink again. I'll get off the computer. It's you, it's me. And usually we make those kind of promises with very, very good intentions. But do y'all know, do y'all know what road is paved with good intentions? And that's what Peter lived out. Because as you skip down just a few verses in Matthew chapter 26 to verse 69, and look at what happens. The same guy who has just said, uh, even, even all the other 11, I never will, verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You're with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant, what's the deal with Peter and servant girls? Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again 
with an oath, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them, meaning one of Jesus's people. Your accent gives you away. You see, Peter was up in, from the country in Galilee and there in Jerusalem in the city. And some of you know what that is like. Some of you all from down here in the South, you, you go up to the streets of New York and you, you say a word or two and, and people are like, you's, you's, you's not from here, are you? And then some of you's who've come from the North and you're down here and, and, and you start talking and what are the people, well, you ain't from around here, are you? That's exactly, exactly what Peter experienced. And, and so what happened? Then he began to call down curses and he swore at them, swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Whew. I don't know if you know this or not, but the fact, before we talk about just what an incredible story is, the fact that the New Testament gives us such full pictures of its heroes is astounding and so unique. Other ancient religious books about other ancient religious heroes give you only their good side, only one dimensional characters. And in fact, if you question any of it, woo, you're in trouble. The New Testament is so refreshingly different. It shows you its heroes warts and all, and it says, these are the kind of people who started the Jesus movement. And I get from that, well, there's room for you and you and you. But do you notice what Peter does? I love that last line. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So after his three times of denying, Peter is in a sense self-exiled. He goes outside. That language is, is quite in purposeful. He goes outside alone in shame. And don't you know, don't you know that when Peter is in that isolation, uh, isolation, when he's so full of shame, weeping bitterly, that the enemy, and yeah, we're, we're, we're a Bible-lifting church, and as a Bible-lifting church, we actually believe there is a Satan and he is the enemy. And we believe he is powerful. He is not all-powerful, but he is powerful and his most effective techniques always have to do with how we think. And so as Peter is alone out there, exiled, isolated, and weeping, don't you know that the enemy got into his mind and said, Peter, you didn't just deny Jesus, you are denier. You, you didn't just fail, you are failure. Peter, you are such a loser. You said you were better than the other 11. You're worse than all. Why, Peter, you are worse than Judas. And you know that the enemy knows Peter's name, but he chooses to call him by his sin. Peter, I know who you are, the enemy must have been saying to him when he's isolated and alone outside. I know your name, but I am calling you denier, loser, failure. And don't you know that some of you have heard that same voice and internalized that same title. That the enemy who knows your name chooses to call you by your sin and you have bought that lie. 
And for some of you, the, the lie that you have bought were those words that were spoken over you in childhood. And for others of you, it's even because of things you've done in adulthood. But you have bought the lie that failure is not an event. Failure is your person. And so you know the ways that you define and describe yourself. Disappointment. Undisciplined. Addict. Adulterer. Failure. Satan knows you by name. Calls you by your sin. And you've been so gullible, you've internalized it. And the good you, you feel, makes you feel defeat, defeated and deflated and defined by that sin. And the good news, if that's you and if that's me and if that's you over there, the, 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 if, if that's you tuning in, the good news is that Peter's story does not end with him alone, weeping, isolated, and, and full of shame. And the good news is that the Bible is a library, and within the, the biblical library, there's a micro-library called the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one subject, Jesus. And within that micro-library of the Gospels, John supplements Matthew's story. And John gives us this scene that happens after Jesus has died and risen again. It's what we call a post-resurrection scene. And in this post-resurrection scene, Jesus is having a breakfast, a fish breakfast. What? It's in the Bible. It's true. He's having a fish breakfast on a lake shore with his followers. And look at what happens in John chapter 21 and verses 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said, could you pass the tartar sauce? No, Jesus said, watch this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs, which is his way of saying, take, you're, you're a leader, Peter, take care of my church. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you see? Do you see what happens? Peter's frustrated that he gets asked three times, do you love me? He, he should have been delighted. Because the three times of affirmation, yeah, I love you, is Jesus's way of making sure that Peter knows the three times of denying him are canceled out. But something much, much better is going on. Because do you see how Jesus addressed Peter every time? Simon, son of John, Simon, son of, not once, not three times, Simon, son of John. So you see, Jesus knows Peter's sin, because he just died for it in the most gruesome and bloody of ways. He knows that sin, and yet he chooses to call Peter by his name. Think of all he could have said, hey, hey, denier, do you love me? Hey, loser, do you love me? Hey, overpromiser and underdeliverer, do you love None of that. 
Jesus knows the sin and yet calls Peter by his name. And the good news, good shepherd, for every single one of you who feels defined or defeated or deflated by the sin that you have allowed Satan to name you, here's the good news. Satan knows your sin, your name, and calls you by your sin. But Jesus knows your sin and chooses to call you by your name. Hallelujah is right. Yeah. And for every single one of you, our God, who created the universe in a moment, who died on a tree that he created, who understands the stars in the ever-growing galaxy, he knows your name. And he could choose to call you by your sin because it cost him so much to die for. But instead, tenderly, personally, yes, individually, he calls you by your name. And whatever you've done and wherever you have been and however far you have gone, when he calls you by your name, he says, I remember your sin. I remember your failure no more. It's as far as the east is from the west. You, you are my blood-bought, spirit-filled child. Jesus knows your sin and yet chooses to call you by your name. I don't, I don't know. In a world, in a world that values anonymity, in, in a world in which you are your password, in, in a world when you are your code, in a world when, when you are your birth date, I had a medical procedure about six weeks ago, and some of you have been through this recently. Every person who met me, in the, it, was, it was minor, I'm fine. Thanks for, thanks for the flowers, I'm fine. But every, every person who met me, your birth date, please, 11-14-1961, your birth date, please, 11 14, I, you, you don't know. That's who, I, I was not a person. It was a birth date. And in that world... With that anonymity, hear the good news, good shepherd. Satan knows your name, calls you by your sin. Well, the hell with him. And Jesus knows your sin and chooses to call you by your name because he went to hell on your behalf so that you don't have to. So much like what happened to me when I was 11. When I was 11, I, if you were here last week, I had like a whole pile of tennis rackets. And when I was a, grew up playing competitive tennis, and at 11, I lost a match when I was 11. And I was sure that was a career-defining match. How, how sick is that, that you're 11? And you think, well, that's over. That's, that was a nice try. And so, but I vividly remember saying to my dad and, and crying hard, I'm a loser. I'm, I'm a loser. I lost to this guy again. I am a loser. And my dad calmly but emphatically said, no, you're not. You lost, but you're not a loser. You're a winner. And one day you will wonder why you ever thought that way. Turned out he was right. That's my father on earth. Imagine your father in heaven. You want to define yourself by your losses. You want to define yourself by your failures. You want to define yourself by the words that the enemy has spoken into your mind. And God says, you are not who you think you are. You are who I declare you to be. 
because Satan knows your name and taunts you with your sin. And Jesus knows your sin and loves you with your name. And when I say this, with all the, the joy that I can muster up and the passion that I can must, muster up, do not hear what I am not saying. When I, when I say that, that Jesus knows your sin and yet chooses to call you by your, saying, by your name, I'm not saying that your sin is no big deal. Uh, uh, God forbid you ever leave Good Shepherd Church and say, well, <laughs> he just told us sin's not really that big a deal. It's no problem. No, it's a very big deal. It's such a big deal. It nailed Jesus to the cross. So the secret to finding hope in the midst of our failures never comes from minimizing our sin. It only comes from maximizing our Savior and when you place your sin up against the Savior, how can you do anything but, uh, else but lift up Jesus higher and greater? Because the good news, good shepherd, is Jesus didn't pay it some. Jesus paid it all. And so we want to be that church that never minimizes sin, but always maximizes Savior because the good news, the Satan knows your name, taunts you with your sin. Jesus knows your sin, cherishes you with your name. It's a little bit like what happened at a citywide crusade, one of those citywide crusades of a generation ago. The good news is in 2024, there's going to be a Charlotte citywide crusade. How cool is that? But at one of these, a generation ago, a young man comes to the altar at the end of the crusade, and his prayer guide asks him, and, and, and he says, well, what brings you to the altar this evening? And the young man says, I haven't been decent to Jesus. Hmm. Where is it that you haven't been decent to Jesus? And, and where is it that you're allowing that lack of decency to Jesus to define you? Which are you going to trust more? Your failures or his successes? Your wounds or his scars? Which, which are you going to trust more? Your spotty record or his perfect one? Good shepherd, that, that's a deal that I want you to take any time. That when you think of your standing for eternity, when you think of your relationship with God, you do not have to rely on your goodness because as we've been talking, your goodness ain't all that good. But when you trust his greatness, you trust his greatness, then you rebuke the lies of the evil one. You tell him to go back to hell from whence he came and you savor the truth of the glorious one. Satan knows your name, calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin and calls you by your name. It's a little bit like this note that I got from one of you all over the last couple of years. Listen to this. I felt compared to, compelled to share this with you. Today at church, I felt overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. I might not have had that today if a man at your church, who little did I know at the time was one of the pastors there, had not taken the time to discuss my recently shaken faith. 
recently shaken by failure and sin. When I stopped by on a whim, that was over 10 years ago. It was then that I realized that Good Shepherd was our home and I'm so proud to call it just that. My family and I have grown so much in our faith and grown together as a family because of all the things encompassing Good Shepherd. We're so thankful for the congregation. How great are they? Hey, that's you all. The amazing musicians we look forward to hearing every week and keep singing the songs the rest of the day. The people on the prayer team, the kids zone, and really just the entire team. I would not have had this if that pastor hadn't stayed late that evening to talk with me and get this, let me hear from, what did they have to hear from God? I know your sin, but I'm calling you by your name. Thank you. Keeping the tears in, never mind. Too late. Some of you today want today to be the day that you rebuke the lies of Satan. You start believing the beauty of the gospel. And so what I want to invite you to do, would you bow your heads and and close your eyes? and, And if today you realize, oh my gosh, I have been calling myself by my failure. I've been limiting myself to my sin. If today... You want to embrace the fact that Jesus knows your sin and yet loves you, cherishes you by your name. Would you just lift a hand today? If you're tired, hallelujah, there's one. Hallelujah, all over. Satan, hallelujah. Satan, Satan is so embarrassed right now. He is humiliated by every raised hand because he knows that he is powerless in the face of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah today. Father, I pray blessing and truth over every person today who essentially said, well, to hell with Satan. I am defined by my Savior. Father, would you give every person here new breath and new life? In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you rise on your feet as you're able We may be promise breakers, but our God is a promise keeper. We're going to sing about his promises now.